Whoa, welcome back to Merge Conflict International Travel Edition. I'm your host, James Montemagno, and with me is the other ho- co-host of this luxurious, extravagant podcast, Mr. Frank Kruger. How's it going, Mr. Frank Kruger? I love that this luxuriant, extra- extravagant podcast is being recorded on a bed because those are the podcast studio of choice while traveling. Uh, hi, James. I am reporting live from New Zealand. It is a beautiful morning here, which is good news because it really looked like it was going to rain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just came down from a mountain yesterday just to record this podcast. I'd planned on staying on the mountain for the rest of my life, but thought, oh, no, got to record Merge Conflict. So I came on down and here we are. That's right. No, this is this is spectacular. I'm really excited for you. We got to go to New Zealand uh, quite a while ago, and it was really cool. You actually are going to a lot of the places that we went. Uh, so it's kind of cool to see, you know, or lis- listen to what you've been doing, because we also went to Hobbiton and we went to the Mount Doom area and a bunch of other cool areas down over there. So I'm going to be excited to see all the photos and things like that that you have. And you have this new I- uh, iPhone as well. So it's kind of cool that you're experiencing this trip. And you got your new iPhone. So you're you're going to take the most beautiful high-res photos in the entire world, Frank. They're honestly ridiculous. Like, yeah. I was taking pictures in the evening. The sun is set. Stars are out. There's a moon. It's a big, bright moon. And this thing is taking photographs like it's daytime, like it's noon, and just from the moonlight. So, yeah, I am getting amazing photos. What I'm not getting is amazing battery life on my watch, which makes me oh. think I should have spent all the all the Tim Apple bucks on the, the fancy watch. But here we are. No fancy watch. But otherwise, the Apple tech is somehow still working. Yes. And we're going to talk about wearables a little bit today, which is a pretty exciting topic because I did see the new uh, Apple craziness watch for people that are doing crazy things, which you often do. So I'm excited to talk about that. But I do want to talk about the things that are happening this week, which is, is it is .NET 7 release week, which is very, very Ooh. exciting. And if you're listening to this on Monday, tomorrow, November 8th, is .NET Conf. The .NET conference is a three-day virtual event. This is my advertisement that I'm not getting paid for at all. I don't know how we didn't, <laughs> how, you know, marketing, come on. Come on, James. Uh, come on, where's the money, man? <laughs> well, I can't take money from my own company. That doesn't feel right. Uh, so uh, you could, not me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I- I have no shame. I totally could. (laughs) (laughs) But I've been uh, I've had the honor of working on the keynote again this year. I'm not in the keynote, but uh, I'm the most amazing people are in the keynote and I'm real excited about it. I got to uh, help craft some of the story here and work with the demoers from afar, which is cool because we're all like, you know, remote and hybrid. And I'm going to be doing a talk with Alon Lipton on Blazor Hybrid and .NET MAUI. And our session, Frank, is a hybrid session. Alan is going to be in the studio and I'm going to be at home talking about building hybrid apps while presenting <laughs> hybrid in general. It's the most meta thing ever. And I, I love it. You're literally going to be a talking head. Are they going to put like you on a screen next to him and you'll be like virtual James next to <laughs> real Alan? That's funny. Uh, I, I'm actually looking forward to that. I wrote a little blazer game. I mentioned on the podcast 20 times, but I wrote a little blazer game that I've been wanting to turn into a Maui blazer hybrid crazy app. And uh, I have not been unfortunately keeping up with the technology and that's why I haven't actually done it yet. So I will be tuning into your uh, your talk there. Nice. Yeah, we're going to really go deeper. I I was, you know, we've done so many intro ones, we're going to really talk about 
how to effectively share code, access APIs, do a bunch of stuff. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. So if you are interested in that, definitely give it a go. And next week, uh, we're going to we're going to wait until after dot comps like we normally do to break down on the news. Now, I think the funny part about dot comp and even the releases of dot net is we already know everything that's in it. It's like there's a I mean, I, I mean, I don't <laughs> think there's any surprises. I mean, maybe there is and I don't know. But like it's RC2, yeah. the RC2 and all the previews like it's built in the open, Frank. Like It's all there. I know. I know. It's, and like the beta has been out for what, like four uh, months, it feels like or something like yeah. that. I, and my brain still can't register it. James, I'm still converting apps to .NET 6. <laughs> and so I haven't fully registered .NET 7. So yes, everything's been done in the open. There's 8 million blog posts about this thing. And yet I feel like I'm still going to get a lot of surprises <laughs> come tomorrow. I'm going to be like reading every blog that's posted. I'll be watching the .NET conf because it's hard to keep up with this stuff. You know, there's 8 million Microsoft employees adding stuff to the thing, and I can't keep up with all that. So uh, that, it's good they have these conferences and things like that. And I hope our, we'll, we'll, we'll do a couple episodes, I'm sure, talking about everything for the rest of the time until the .NET 8 <laughs> preview is out. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm excited for it, especially because... I have converted my apps over to .NET 6 for the most part. I circuit's still lagging a little behind, but I should be able to just change the 6 to a 7, and I'm going to be all up to date. That's the plan. That's the hope. I like it. I agree. Actually, you know, I did some of that stuff during, um, you know, .NET Maui, like when the previews and the RCs came out, I, I totally tried it, and it totally worked. I'm not even going to lie about it. Like, it works great. And I just flipped a few net net seven next net six to net seven and boom, I was off to the races. It it really did work. You gotta you know to delete those bin and OBJ files. But besides that, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, you're totally yeah, yeah. good to go. <laughs> I always forget to do that too, and you get the weirdest error messages. Yes. Yeah, so here's a little PSA. Everyone delete your bin and o- OBJ folders. <laughs> Pretty important. Yeah. It's yeah. It's funny. Build systems are hard, it turns out. Build so is systems this, um, are hard. C sharp. 10, 11, 12. What are we up to, James, with .NET 7? We are up to 11, and I am crazy oh excited about it. Yeah, I literally was just reviewing uh, Mad's uh, uh, blog post that he's writing for, for .NET uh, 11, which, of course, you can already try out. It's like it's not, you know, you can mm-hmm. already just flip the bits, but there was a bunch of new features that I'm just really excited about, uh, you know, especially the string literal stuff, but also these required fields and just, I think a lot of stuff from a library creator's perspective, there's a lot of fun and exciting things in there. So I'm definitely um, super jazzed about what's happening yeah. in, now, in .NET 7 and C Sharp 11. Can I get some uh, clarity from you here? Uh, Maui did not ship with the very first .NET 6. It was lagged behind a tiny bit. Uh, will we be getting a new Maui on .NET 7 day? Yeah, it's in the RC. It's already in there. So you're totally good to go. I mean, from my understanding, and actually, you know, one of the best amazing blog posts is on the .NET blog right now. It just came out this week from Jonathan Peppers. And, you know, if you're a Peppers fan over here, he's he's really deep <laughs> on the perform. He's like the 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 Stephen Tobe of .NET Maui for these performance thing. And there's great deep dives. I mean, I really think performance at a core level is just such a amazing enhancement that they seem to just continuously put in every single release as a core foundational piece. And 
you know, the stuff that Peppers is talking about is like, hey, you just flip the bits. You have your same exact application. Like you will see performance gains in multiple ways. One, because .NET itself is so much faster, but then also all the work that they're doing in, you know, .NET MAUI also is there. And I think that this is cool. Mm -hmm. I like that the Peppers in this blog post really dives deep into what the team is focused on. And this is what they said. Um, I do love this. He said, you know, they're building on top of the .NET 7, excellent work uh, from the, the core, the BCL, the runtimes. Yeah. And he said, for Android, the focus remains on startup performance since the application size is in a good place. But for iOS, they have the opposite goal. They are <laughs> going to be focusing on the application size because the startup performance of iOS is in such good shape. So it's, it's two different problems that they're tackling uh, on both on both metric. And I do like that they always show not only a file new project, but also a um, uh, the Donut podcast application too. And, you know, they were able to to shave off almost a meg and a half uh, of that applica yeah. application size, which a meg and a half, like that doesn't seem like a lot, but like that's like, where'd that code go? Like, how did that even happen? Like, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. And then, like they also shaved off um, like I think it's what like seventy milliseconds from the startup time, which is like, I mean, that's really impressive. At the same, I was like ten percent fat. Like everything's like ten percent faster and ten percent smaller. Like that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I remember the early mono touch days where the apps were thirty megabytes and they had a little two second leg when you, they turned on. So honestly, we're in a good place these days. Let's take a tiny side detour here for a second. Yeah. Um, I was having a discussion on Twitter, and I think there's a little bit of confusion here. So the reason that iOS apps are bigger is because they're AOT, ahead of time compiled. That means every bit of code in your app needs to be compiled down to native, native processor, in this case, the ARM. And there, there's a funny idea in the community that I just keep noticing, and I just want to say it here or on the podcast. Well, everyone here is smart. Everyone knows what's going on. But AOT does not mean your app is smaller. AOT means your app is compiled ahead of time. And mm -hmm. there's no reason that means your app should be smaller. Um, like if you use generics, the ARM microprocessor set uh, instruction set does not support generics. It doesn't support string operations. It doesn't support all these things. And so actually, IL code, .NET code should become bigger when you AOT it. And I think th there's a weird thing going around on the internet. People are like, I don't turn on the AOT because my app is bigger. That is a downside, but you do get so many benefits from AOT. You said it, uh, iOS apps start up really fast. They do that because they're AOT. They don't have to run through the JIT. They don't have to run through the runtime to compile every method. They're already compiled. They're already ready to go. So I just wanted to take a little detour there and remind everyone, please don't think that AOT makes your app smaller. If it does make your app smaller, that's because really hardworking engineers at Microsoft did their job very well. Theoretically, your app should be much larger. IL is a much more compressed instruction set than ARM. And so I'm just a little baffled by people thinking that AOT should make their app smaller. No, it write, write out the numbers. It's going to make your app bigger. So thank you, Microsoft engineers, for tackling the size problem also. But, uh, you know, it's just understand in engineering, there's always trade-offs between these things. And I'm a speed freak. 
I've never really cared too much about the size of my app as long as it's under under 30 to 100 megabytes. People can download it quickly over cellular. Uh, I I just don't care. I want that speed, James. I want the speed. <laughs> yeah, here's a few things too. Also, the AOT or ahead of time compilation. These are those are also different per platform. Like the AOT yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, maybe like a native AOT versus the iOS AOT versus the Android AOT versus on Windows, it's called ready to run (laughs) R2R, which is a form of ahead of time compilation, which um, is for the core CLR, which Windows runs on. And actually, you know, in this blog post, Pepper specifically talks about the change, the defaults that they're changing. They said they were a little bit too Mm. um, conservative um, in, in this. So they had more things turned off by default, but they're like, you know what, like, it just makes sense to turn it on. Like, oh, the and the Windows apps will be a little bit faster if we turn on ready to run by default because most people just use the defaults, yeah. but they turned it on and it decreased the app startup time by fifty percent. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and also you know another factor too is on Mac OS for example, they actually had uh, it building only for a single architecture. It was only x eighty six sixty four, and they you had to flip on ARM sixty four and. That leads to a lot of confusion. Well, one, your app is going to be smaller because it's only one ar- architecture. Um, but, you know, if you're running on M1, then your app is not going to start as fast. And if you have Rosetta turn off, it's got to go through that layer. So they're just like, we'll just turn it on by default. You can turn it off if you want to and you can trim down your app, but you're there. Now, when it comes to AOT, I have always been under the impression that my app was going to be bigger but faster. Now, actually, I will say this is that technically it, it may not always be faster in every single scenario but that's the goal i thought it was fast is bigger and faster and let me tell you this and i agree with you here and i'll make this bold statement is that for almost every single application that you're going to build with .NET maui you know or ios or android for .NET or all these other things 99 percent of developers your app will your app size will never matter it will never matter <laughs> ever because it won't be big enough. Guess what? Because I installed the YouTube app and guess what? It's like 250 meg. I install the app. What is that thing? I, what, what are they uh, putting in that bundle? You know, I install Robinhood. It's like, you know, 250 meg. You know, I, you install, I install the DJI apps. They're like a half a gig, you know, because it's, <laughs> there's that now. Okay. My, my cadence, my little cycling app, it's 20 megs. Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? That's a, that's everything. Yeah. Now that's not to say that, you know, I think if you use some of these big, big third-party libraries, I got a bunch of junk and a bunch of other stuff that can't be trimmed out. But I'd tell you this much, even if you're doing Android development in it, let's say it doubles your app size. It's actually not that big of a deal because Android applications are bundled into app bundles which then get split apart with different resources and dynamically downloaded and installed into your, you know, into um, the, the, the user specific devices. And on iOS, you know, almost all app updates happen in the background automatically when they're on Wi-Fi. Like these, you know, I think 10 years ago when I was getting started, it was really important to, to have these app sizes because we're considering this and there's app size restrictions too at the time. Now there's really not in any regard. You're never really going to get over it. Now, that's not to be said. There is one use case. Um, you know, that's why I said 99% of developers. Maybe it's 90% of developers, which is <laughs> emerging markets. Okay. So when you are developing an app and deploying it specifically to, let's say, you know, um, and targeting 
an audience in uh, Africa or in parts of South America where internet is very expensive and there's not a lot of data, right? So, you know, I've always considered these areas, and there's a lot of areas like this around the world that actually you do want to trim this down. And you used to see these trends where it'd be like Facebook Lite and Twitter Lite and these very, they would almost release a version of the app trimmed down for that market. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, I, I wonder what I wonder what the break even point there is because, I you know I'm thinking like a hundred megabytes. It, it, that's very large for an app. I remember in the early Mono Touch days, the Hello World app they were targeting three or four megabytes. You know, so no resources, nothing, mm-hmm. just code putting up a window. And I feel like the amount of code and things you can do between three megabytes and a hundred megabytes is huge if you're not including resources. So I figure a lot of that trimming has to be them removing like these super high resolution JPEGs or something in the app. Because if you have a hundred megabytes of code, well, God bless you, but I don't know what you're doing with that code. That is way too much code for pretty much any problem. I, I can't think of any problem that needs that much. I mean, Visual Studio, of course, is two terabytes or whatever, but um, I uh, definitely agree with you. It's, it's that initial experience. That's what I was always targeting. Uh, someone just spent this money for my app. I didn't want to give them a progress bar that lasted 30 minutes. I wanted mm-hmm. it downloaded within a minute and using your the app. Like you said, for updates, it's almost irrelevant. So it's it's kind of that new user experience. And that, that is important. Someone's, especially if you're writing a proper mobile app where it's hyper local and the person's going to miss the bus if they don't get this app downloaded really quick. In that yeah. case, yeah, file size is probably the most important thing for you. But you look at the number one app in the world, TikTok. Yeah. Three, 302 megabytes. What is in that app? <laughs> I mean, a lot of these apps are just very thin veneers over the website. <laughs> like, okay, TikTok, all you do is display user content, which obviously comes from a server. So what's in the rest of that? I guess the video editing? I can write a video editor for smaller than that. I, I promise you. <laughs> Here you go. Better. Gmail displays emails, 400 megabytes. What is wrong with programmers these days? No, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> it's, it's bigger than I, Facebook. You know, Facebook's 300. But you know what I mean? Like, there's the thing. Not, that's not every app. Like, I'm just going through some of the top apps that are on there. But yeah. at the same time, I think, you know, it, it depends on your market where you're this. But, at the, you know, there, my apps, my apps on Android have never been bigger than 30 megabytes. And my iOS apps have never been bigger than 50. And, I, and like, I have some pretty complex things. I'm not saying I have everything in the world, but that's even with ad packages and, other, you know, in-app yeah. purchases and all this other stuff. So. Now, there's a lot in there to think about, but regardless, what you were saying earlier is we'll stop complaining about it, but it's it's at the same time, these engineers, you know, uh, at Microsoft and community members making contributions too are doing this, some spectacular work where it's like, hey, just update and your apps get smaller. Like what? That's okay. You know, that, that's, that's <laughs> great. Like, why wouldn't I want to do that? Um, so I think it's really cool. And, yeah. I, and this blog post, by the way, too, is just really a goldmine for someone like you, Frank, because yeah. Um, he also goes through how they're using all the different profiling tools out there like .NET Monitor and they're using like these Perview things like you were talking about. We did, we did an episode on it, but mm-hmm. he goes super deep in detail on just some ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. Like, for example, improvements in the mono interpreter, right? They're talking about like, here, like it, there's all these 
we're they're they're doing improvements like in the you know not only just making your app final package but like hey we're going to work on you know enabling system reflection emit and and doing this other this other like this crazy stuff and and make sure that actually when you hit debug that the improvements in that process is improved by 25%, right? So it really mm-hmm. gives me a lot of hope going to the future. You know, I think that like you said, you know, .NET Maui shipped later on in .NET 6 and now really being part of .NET 7 and inside of .NET is it really gets all these great advantages at the end of the day. And I think that's sometimes uh, folks sort of forget about that. And that's one yeah. point that I always try to bring out. Well, what's that joke? Always use version two of a Microsoft product or the point one. <laughs> we don't do point ones anymore, people. We do major versions every year, new major version. <laughs> um, but I'm excited because we, we've been talking about this for years where .NET 6 was a big transition. It was it was a huge overhaul of everything. And we keep saying things like dust settle and, you know, wait for this. So .NET 7 is kind of the dust settled (laughs) version of .NET 6, where we've had a year to reflect upon it. People have been building apps with it, and now they can fine tune it to the cause. So I've been looking forward to this .NET 7 thing for a while, even if I don't know all the specifics of it. I'm an engineer. I know how schedules work. I know you can only fit so much into that first release and you have a backlog of a million things you wanted to do. And, you know, .NET 7 and I don't even want to say, but .NET 8, you know, these things are coming out and they're getting through that backlog. And it's 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 good because all that effort I put into converting my apps over to .NET 6 are benefiting. And I even want to go back to something you said earlier, which was people just use the defaults especially with the new project style because you do file new project for one of these big maui app and there are very few settings in your cs project file if you go look through it there's some junk about resources and platforms who cares that stuff's garbage and there are very few options on it's it's majority defaults and you know, even I've been running the app with defaults on. I know a lot about how the runtime works and all that. But in general, I, I prefer the defaults. This goes back to how we never modify our operating system <laughs> defaults. I just, you know, I, I I guess I'm trusting. I trust the engineers to pick me some nice defaults. And it's, <laughs> I'm thinking through the ramifications of like Mac OS having the ARM64 and the Intel. And my initial reaction was, oh man, my executable is going to be huge. But I don't want to set that option every time I create a project. So you know what? It's fine. My build time will be a little bit longer. And if it gets annoying, I guess I can I can pare down the... Is that the runtime identifier probably uh, for Mac OS? I could probably just change the runtime identifier and force it to ARM64 and Intel. By the way, feels like I'm going to be releasing Intel versions of Mac for the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the Intels are going to take a long time to transition away from. So I think that was a smart default change. Yeah, I think they're not going anywhere for a long amount of time because not, you know, not everyone can upgrade their computers right away, you know, and I think same with me, like I'm going to be shipping support for Windows 11 for or Windows 10 for a long, long time, obviously, because even one of my machines is still on Windows 10 until I move. It's, you know, I'm I'm there. And the nice thing is you have the telemetry. I think like that's that's the nice part there, too. And and the teams know they know what's up, which is exciting. So, you know, there's tons of stuff. I'm real excited about it. Um, I think we've gone a little bit down the rabbit hole here, which no, is great no. for, for me um, already, you know, because I've been living and breathing it. I've sort of vanished from the internet for the last 
a week or two because I've been mm. really just uh, there's a lot that goes into this, you know, re- not only just the release, yeah. but the conference. This is a three day conference with like 80. Sa- like it's it's a big deal. And, you know, I got we're having to work with an amazing team of people that put this together. But um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a, you know, yeah. I, 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 once, once a year, I am reminded, Frank, that it is a lot of moving parts all at once. So. But it, it's, it's always cool. when you're trying to it's like when you're writing the help file for your app you're like oh my app is really simple and then you try to explain every screen you're like oh i, I guess my app's not so simple and then you go make fixes and all that kind of yeah. stuff it's, it's totally that um I, sorry i'm going to keep backtracking um a peek behind the curtains we're not recording we're not broadcasting this live uh can i go read that jonathan pepper's blog now or will that be out uh on .net seven day it is out now. It is. I'll put a link into our uh, show notes for that one as well. And in fact, there's a, a blog post from Brennan on November 1st on ASP.NET Core improvements. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, the 255 page Stephen Toba oh <laughs> uh, library edition. Um, oh, also, big shout out to Zencaster who have fixed their chat so you can actually click on a link. Wow, look at that. They did it. What? Links? Yeah. <laughs> Links, you know, what a thought. Web, web developers continue to impress me. That's all I'll say. I've been using a lot of web apps on this vacation trip. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, pretty great. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, we, we were talking about Blazor hybrid earlier, but, you know, I, we, you know, I think Alon and I, we make we make the, the joke, but in all seriousness, when we're talking about it is is probably half the things that you use every single day. There's a little bit of web something in there. You know what I mean? Like when I'm booking like if you use the Alaska airline app as a good example, it's like, it's a native app, right? I don't know what it's written in some, but when you go to, I, I busted it open. That's why I know what's, what's in there. Yeah. The APK. But when Locker. you, when you go to, to book a, a flight, that's just a web view. It's, it's very transparent. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. why would they rewrite all of that really advanced, crazy terminology and all that functionality twice? I mean, it's a really good web experience inside of a mobile mm-hmm. app, but, you know what I preferred it to be 100% native. Yeah, of course, but you know, it, you gotta do what you gotta do at the, at the end of the day. Because comparatively, <laughs> what's the most important part about the airline app is probably actually checking in and getting my ticket. And that's a very native, nice experience, right? So you pick and choose, but you know, there's always a little bit of web and a little bit of everything. If it's not a full web, I don't either. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I even gave in. There's a few web views only because they're pulling from a server in mm-hmm. iCircuit. But I was like, oh, should I write a native UI for this? And I kind of came to the unfortunate same conclusion a lot of giant companies, which is odd. Isn't it weird how giant companies can't seem to get the people effort together to build custom apps? I don't understand the economics of giant companies. Anyway, <laughs> even I'm starting to put a few little web UIs in because you don't want to rewrite the code and UIs honestly take a long time to get right and you have a little more control over it when you're doing it server backed. Uh, so I'm not I'm not so against this hybrid world. My argument for native apps was it was startup time and the controls mm-hmm. should feel, it, the app should look like a proper native app the controls should feel like a proper native app but it's okay if like your stupid setting screen or uh, i always why do we always make fun of the setting screen but you know you know some stupid screen like that or the login like login makes sense to be a server backed web page because you're going to be talking to the server anyway and you don't exactly need sub millisecond response time on a login page and it should integrate with your like your cookies and all your security stuff. 
And so there's a lot of good reasons to dump a web view into your native apps. It's true. Yeah. You know, and especially if you are a web developer and you are on a team, like, you know, there's obviously a lot of, you know, benefits that can come from that too. I know that we're just kind of talking about, but it's, I, I think about it more and more as the platforms evolve. And also, you know, when we started this 10 years ago, right, the performance that you could get or just the even ecosystem around it, you know, wasn't, wasn't there. Now I'm not a web developer, right? That's the other part mm -hmm. too is, but I have a lot of friends that are web developers <laughs> and I work with a lot of people that are web developers and like they want to build apps or contribute to apps or do cool things. So the flexibility is what's important to me at the end of the day. And I think you're right. It's like getting access. If I, when I, when I need to do native stuff and I need to do this other stuff and I need to get that, you know, native startup and I need those bits to be important, right? Like your core processor of a lot of your apps, like that, those are going to be the native bits, but these little pieces here and there that, you know, maybe are shared with the web could just be the web at, at some point, as long as it's a good experience, if it's a subpar yeah. experience and don't do that. I was just noticing that the Jonathan Peppers article is using the lols per second metric. I think mm -hmm. this is the worst benchmark, people. Please don't pay too much attention to the lols per second. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, someone's putting a label on the screen and animating it, and they're somehow thinking that has anything to do with application performance time. <laughs> Great. Good for you. Um, <laughs> you ride that might bike, you know, have fun. Um, but it, it's nice. They got their lulls per second up. Yay. We, we talked mm -hmm. about it a little on the podcast, a little tangentially. Um, yay. Performance. Uh, please, please don't put a thousand labels animating on your screen. Don't it's, it, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> it, the the funny part about the lulls per second, because it is at least one metric, which I think is on here, yeah, is, sure. is Peppers even says, he's like, you know, this is a metric. Is it a good metric? No. Is it fun? Yeah. No. But like, is it yeah. is it a metric? Yeah. But the cool part is, funnily enough, he talks about how this test, which is quite silly, uh, led them to figure and find a bunch of performance <laughs> problems sure. Sure. that are deeper, <laughs> deeper underlying. So. It's like, are you going to do this in real world? No, but like, you know, in, in general, there, yeah. there's there's some cool bits. So it's it's a fun exploration that weird, wacky test like this. But no, I agree. But, you know, they did get their lulls way up, by the way. So, I mean, they've <laughs> 4X the lulls, you know, since Xamarin formed. So that's pretty good. Exactly the problem with benchmarks. I mean, okay, wait. What you said earlier is good. If a benchmark reveals some hidden performance mistakes in your code, excellent where benchmarks go wrong is when people start optimizing the benchmark. You know, if, if they optimize the code path that this one app uses, that's bad. Uh, that's when benchmarks go bad. That's when, you know, you have gaming. The benchmark is the old term for it. And so I, I, I hope the Microsoft people, I know no one wants to be low on a list or anything, but I hope they have better benchmarks than the stupid lulls per second. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I, and I think this is a good one is, is is to talk about it is and what he points out is he said, well, in this test, it it unveiled, you know, a a jitter basically in the in the getting mm. of the context that they noticed. And they said, oh, what they actually found is that because you see it in such vastness, because there's so many controls is something that maybe a, a just running a normal app or something smaller wouldn't have picked up. But this led to saying, well, funnily enough, every single application does have a bunch of controls and all of them are making this one call. So if we optimize yeah. this one call, 
it actually optimizes for every single application, which is what we sort of talked about, I think, in .NET 6 and the performance optimizations there, which was they did some improvements to like string interpolation and concatenation because they said, well, there is this path. But what we find is that we're optimizing for this path. But surprisingly, a lot of people are using this code. So it's OK to like hyper optimize in this one sure. instance because it's not the 1%. It's like an, an 80 or 99% of people are going through this. And that's to your point, right, of the optimizations are important. Yeah. So every benchmark reveals something. And you should definitely take a pass through your code and fix that benchmark. But then you should throw it out. Not throw it out. You keep it running to watch for <laughs> regressions and things. You cannot obsess over just one benchmark. If you get a benchmark mm -hmm. going pretty good, go invent another benchmark because you, you got yeah. that broad. And it, it sounds like they have that smarts to decide what's actually going to affect everyone's apps versus everything else. What? Uh, sorry, I was I was just thinking because you had mentioned um, the Android AOT is very different from the iOS AOT these days. I get a little bit confused, and maybe you can clarify. Uh, is Android using the kind of um, .NET seven native AOT runtime stuff, or is it a little different? Do you know? Well, so still by default, the Android bits and pieces are not using full ahead of time compilation out oh, of the box right. for Android. Yeah. They're still using the startup tracing or what they call as profiled AOT. And what this does is they said, hey, you know, once your app is running, it's pretty good. So mm -hmm. if we full AOT, it's going to it's a balance, right? Do you want the app size versus the performance? So the trade off is that they have this profiled AOT and it says, hey, what code needs to be ahead of time compilation in the startup path of the application and they by default create a profile and usually based off the templates and what's there for the core roots everything done in maui needs and some of the core stuff for um the core stuff for android itself on .NET to start up but again if things aren't in that you know in that application they may not get um ahead of time compiled there so what they've been doing is sort of improving that profile. Now you can run it yourself. Like you can take your app and this is what you should do. I've never done it because I'm a little bit lazy, <laughs> but I should do it. Uh, and I've seen how easy it is, is, is you, you run your application with a startup command and it creates a file that's a profile file. And what, what will happen is when you run your, you run your application, release and build it, instead of using the default profile, it will use this new profile to optimize the startup performance for your application, which is really cool. Okay, yeah, that sounds perfect. Yep, I it's good. Um, if if no one's done profile guided optimization, I'm also like you, James. I'm also very lazy, and I don't do it enough. But think about the optimization problem itself. Okay, you you want your compiler to emit the fastest code. To do that, it kind of needs to know the context in which that code is called, which variables actually change often. That matters because um, modern CPUs have branch prediction. If the CPU is able to predict what branch you're going to go down, it's going to be fast. And if it misses that branch prediction, it could be slower. Uh, in .NET, every call to a virtual function, like an interface function or an actual virtual function on your classes. That's an indirect lookup it needs to do, which takes time. 
and then it can call the function. There are tricks in the code. Uh, it'll store the last lookup result, and it'll try to reuse that to avoid uh, computing it again and doing the lookup again. But if that value changes all the time, then that cache fails. And so you use something like profile guided optimization so that it can actually record statistics about functions, know which variables change, know which variables are accessed. Mostly change. It's the changes <laughs> that hurt. And then it can use those to decide how to actually optimize your app. And so you're, you're reminding me, I really should do more profile-guided uh, profile optimizations in my own apps. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of these things, you know, again, what their teams, it seems like they're really trying to do to our point earlier is just out of the box, try to be at that 80, 90% that'll cover most use cases. And then you can always trim it down or optimize it further across the wire. So hopefully that just experience gets even better and better and better. But yeah, it's fun to, to, to just go down. They talk about .NET trace and .NET DS router, which enables you to like bridge in crazily and there's all this other stuff. So it's really cool to just see the tools that they're developing. That's a peppers, right? DS router. Is that a peppers? Okay, whatever. DS. Uh, so, yeah, we yeah, were talking about DS, the trace. Mm -hmm. It is. I'm going to look here because I think that the DS router, I think it's an official tool now. Oh, uh, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, it's an official tool, but I'm pretty sure he's he kind of thought of it brainchild that oh, yeah. together because I think so. I think we've so. talked about .NET Trace before, which I absolutely love, uh, the perfume and all that kind of stuff. I know, I know Visual Studio has amazing visualizations, but I'm on a Mac, people. <laughs> I'm sometimes on a <laughs> Linux box even. And so I'm using the .NET Trace and the perfview. And so I'm always happy to see improvements there. And it sounds like DS Router, uh, it, it takes care of all the gross networking stuff you have to do to get good perf traces out of. Is it just Android or... DS router work on iOS also. I think it works on iOS as well. I'd have to doubly check. Yeah. Uh, the cool thing about .NET 7 and 6 is, you know, I just, <laughs> I recompile the same code for Mac and they all work really well on there too. So you can do your profiling there also. The beauty of shared code, James. We're, we're finally getting to that wonderful shared code world. It continuously gets better and better. Well, Frank, I think we're going to end it there because I want you to go enjoy beautiful New Zealand <laughs> and uh, not just be on the phone me the whole time. But we'll get to one episode where we talk about watches and do stuff. But I'm glad that this episode took a turn because, by the way, if you've made it here, we were going to talk about uh, battery life of watches. But I think that this episode turned out to be a lot better. Frank, I don't know what you think. I think so, because honestly, I've been in vacation mode and I'm I totally forgot that seven was going to be released. So this was a great wake up call for me. And I will definitely be tuning in to the conference tomorrow. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, go enjoy beautiful, beautiful New Zealand. And yes, go to dot net dot net. I'll put a link in the show notes to check out all the .NET goodness and check out .NET 7. That's going to do it for this week's Merge Complex. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.